Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Clear and Convincing, the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts, not the court of public opinion. We're Lisa O'Brien, podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, where Mardi Gras 2020 is over and the 40 days of Lent have begun, and Michael Carnahan from Little Rock, Arkansas, where in April, the Canvas Community Church will enter the second year of its Bridge to Work program, which offers a chance to earn income for picking up trash by Little Rock's homeless population. Thank you for joining us for Episode 51, State of Louisiana versus Cardell A. Hayes. This will be our last episode for Season 2 of Clear and Convincing. Tonight, we'll talk about the April 9, 2016 shooting death of former New Orleans Saints defensive end Will Smith by tow truck driver and once promising high school athlete Cardell A. Hayes. Hayes' self-defense claim was rejected by a jury, and he was convicted of manslaughter and attempted manslaughter for wounding Smith's wife, Markell, during the shooting. We'll talk about the events leading up to the shooting, Hayes' self-defense claims, the trial, and attempt to win a new trial based on new evidence. We'll also talk about the outcome of Hayes' direct appeal, his pending writ to the Louisiana Supreme Court, and the potential impact of Ramos versus Louisiana, a case pending at the U.S. Supreme Court that could have an impact on our on prior non-unanimous felony convictions in the state of Louisiana. We are a live show, and as always, calls are welcome. Our phone number is 347-989-1171. Good evening, Michael. Good evening, Lisa. How are you doing tonight? Besides the minor heart attack I gave you before we came on the air. <laughs> Very well, uh, and um, by the way, I, I just want to say my my youngest sister is fifty two today. Is how old? Fifty two. Oh wow! Okay. So yes, I had to get that on the air. I won't identify her na- by name, but that on the air. And uh, how was your anniversary last night? It was quite wonderful. Uh, we made a nice little uh, shrimp uh, linguine thingies that I've been wanting forever. So it was pretty awesome. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad you were able to enjoy it. Yes, ma'am. All right. Before we get into the uh, into the case for tonight, I do have a couple updates. Dia Dipolito's 
petition for writ of certiorari to the United States Supreme Court has been denied. Her conviction and sentence are now final. Her next step would be state post-conviction, which would be ineffective assistance of counsel or some new evidence that would render her conviction and sentence uh, questionable. So, so basically, now she's on to the. Well, we know we, you know, we know everything was done right in the first trial. So, unless you can come up with something magical, you're correct in jail, basically. Correct. And um, I have said that Claypool's motion to dismiss and not taking the deal that was offered. Uh, are her two best bets for, for ineffective assistance. Because once he came on board, it became about showboating and not, uh, you know, getting attention and getting headlines rather than smart decisions to try the case. Right. So, uh, but that, yeah, her conviction and sentence are now absolutely final. Uh, now that she has requested relief from the U.S. Supreme Court, and they've declined to hear the case. Okay. All right. And then on Rodney Reed, his writ has also been denied by the U.S. Supreme Court, so they're not going to review the 8th and ninth state post-conviction writs or the outcome reached on those writs by the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. Uh, however, for the first time, Justice Sotomayor filed a bizarre statement that basically parroted claims in the Eighth and Ninth Writs, which have been rejected factually by the state courts, and talked about the yet-to-be-proven allegations in the Tenth Writ as though they were established fact. Okay. So, um, which it was just really bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but obviously she, you know, has gotten the IP press release and decided to, you know, do them a solid by making this statement <laughs> instead of remaining silent. Right. Uh, also, this isn't on the outline because I just found out about it uh, after I got home from work. Uh, the state has filed its appellee brief at the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. That is on the appeal of the dismissal of the federal DNA claim that Reed made prior to his November 20th execution date, which was subsequently stayed by the Court of Criminal Appeals. Okay. So uh, it'll be interesting to see whether the appeal uh, goes through or whether the Innocence Project decides that maybe we don't want to get a negative opinion on this issue. Yeah. Um, So we'll see because Swearingen didn't – he dropped his appeal of the same type of case 
that he had filed seeking DNA testing mm-hmm. or seeking a federal court order for DNA testing. So um, we'll see how that comes out. I believe Reed will be able to file a rep- reply brief. And then the next step, the Fifth Circuit will decide whether it's going to take submission on the briefs or whether it's going to have oral argument. Okay. So, all right. And then um, in horse racing world on Friday, February 21st, AP Indy, who has become a, you know, almost a foundation sire of both male and broodmare, uh, broodmares and other sires. Uh-huh. Uh, he passed away at Lane's End Farm in uh, Versailles, Versailles, Kentucky. They don't say it like the French palace. They say Versailles. Uh-huh. Uh, in his stall, um, he was sold in Versailles on March 31st, 1989, bred by William Farish and um, a gentleman by the name of Kilroy, uh, I believe William Kilroy, in 1989. He went on to – he was by Seattle Slough out of Weekend Surprise, who was a secretariat broodmare. So he's, you know, he's got the pedigree. Um, he sold as the top price yearling of 1990 for $2.9 million. Goodness. Um, and he was, he was trained by Hall of Famer Neil Drysdale. He won three of four starts in 1991, including the grade one Hall Hollywood Futurity. Um, he was th- thus he was a champion at two. Uh, his three-year-old campaign in 1992, he won the San Rafael Stakes, the Santa Anita Derby, uh, and then went on to cap it off with a win in the Belmont Stakes. He is the only sire to have sired a Belmont Stakes winner. Who went on to sire a Belmont Stakes winner? Mm-hmm. Uh, and until his death, he was the oldest uh, living Belmont winner, or oldest living winner of a Triple Crown race. He was also voted Eclipse Awards for the American Horse of the Year and champion three-year-old Colt um, and retired with 11 starts eight wins, one show, and a total earnings of $2,979,815. He was also inducted in 2000 into the National Museum of Racing and Hall of Fame, along with his trainer, Neil Drysdale. Um, Another interesting thing about AP Indy, he was originally, which means one of his testicles didn't descend. That was removed, but even with one testicle, he had no problems with fertility. 
and he went on to become a breed-shaping sire because an APND mare works well with just about every other sire out there. Right. And he also provided stamina in the normally speed-oriented stallion ranks of North America. Damn. So, uh, and uh, he sired foals up through, from his retirement in 1992 through 2010. Uh Uh-huh. And then was retired from stud duty on April 8, 2011, um, which, you know, between age and, and being originally, he, his fertility just declined. And that's normal. Right, um, but he remained at Lane's End Farm in his own stall with son's mine shaft across the aisle and honor code in the stall next to him. And I, I'm going to read you some of the names of the, of the horses he has sired. Um, he's got Bernardini. He's got Pulpit, who sired Lucky Pulpit. He's great-grandsire of California Chrome. Wow. Mineshaft, Bernardini, Rags to Riches, who won Belmont Stakes in 2007. And then um, Take Charge Indy. He's got numerous sons and grandsons standing across North America. He's produced great broodmares. Um, he really made a an impact on the breed. Absolutely. And um, he will be sorely missed by the folks at Lane's End, by the tours who tour horse country. And he was mm-hmm. always a big draw for those tours. Uh, he was an, you know, the old, the gentle, gentle statesman of the stallion barn. Um, and my thoughts go out when I heard the news, my thoughts immediately went to Asa Haley, who was his groom for more than 15, maybe 20 years. They were very close. And my friend, Mary Beth Henley, who APND is one of her heart horses that she loves um, so much. So <clears throat> I'm going to read the poem that I found for Empire Maker because I think that, you know, this this is – I love this for, for APND as much as for Empire Maker – Lo there do I see my father, lo there do I see my mother, and my sisters and my brothers. Lo there do I see the line of my kindred, back to the beginning. Lo they do call to me, they bid me take my place among them, in the fields of Elysium, where the children of Pegasus may live forever. And A.P. Andy was 31. Officially... um, Unofficially, his his birthday was March thirty would be March thirty first. So, well, dang, and he will, yeah, he 
<clears throat> and he'll go on shaping the breed through all of his sons and grandsons. Absolutely. Um, who are who are standing around the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean so, he definitely sounds like what you wanted in a uh in a breeding horse, you know, a bred nothing mm-hmm. champion. Kind of the golden mm-hmm. touch, so to speak. He was especially starting out as I think he lived up to everything Mr. Farish uh, thought he would. Mr. Farish said uh, APND was the fantasy of every thoroughbred industry participant, from sale topper yearling to champion runner to game-changing stallion to sire of sires. Words really can't put into perspective what he's meant to us, how many sale toppers or yearlings that end up being that good where they're horse of the year and then go on and be two-time champion sire and then have the long-term influence that he has had and will continue to have. It's pretty amazing. And I agree. It really is. So. All right. So now we're, we're in our, it's our last episode of season two. Can you believe it? I really can't like it seems like not too long ago that I was sitting here and we were doing the last episode of season one and I still remember doing the first episode you know it's crazy (laughs) yeah so well we'll we'll just keep chugging along we've got some uh some interesting cases coming up and I am working on an interview with Gregory Corner uh, I haven't mm-hmm. got it on the schedule yet, but um, um, he was a boyfriend, uh, kind of the love of Stacy Stites' life before she met Jimmy Finnell. Okay. And um, I'm going to get together with him. I haven't talked to him yet, try and figure out a good date. We're going to do a pre-Kentucky Derby show mm-hmm. uh, the last week in April. And Dr. Langlois and Mr. Amo are going to come back. And we'll actually talk about Dr. Langlois' charity work. Okay. Because he is committed and he has done some really great things uh, to help raise money for the pet pantry or thoroughbred causes. Um, also talk a little bit about Therafan, and I believe they're gonna they're gonna bring on some handicappers. Okay, so cool. we might get some handicapping advice for the Kentucky Derby. Oh, I mean, yes. Heck, I could. I, my bank account could use a few extra zeros. <laughs> so, right. So we'll have to we'll have to see how that uh, how that works out. But that'll be the twenty eighth of April. Okay. Because that's the Tuesday before the first Saturday in May. Oh, okay. Makes sense. Yeah. All righty. So we have uh, State of Louisiana versus Cardell Hayes, uh, the death of defensive former Saints defensive end Will Smith. Mm-hmm. Now, usually I do this, but, but you were assigned – the research project 
what can mm-hmm. you tell us about Will Will Smith and not the actor Will Smith? Oh man, I did all my I did all my research on the. Oh no! Now I'm playing Philadelphia, <laughs> born and raised. <laughs> on the playground on a, is where he spent most of his days. <laughs> yes. And, oh man. Uh, I I didn't know this. His full name was William Raymond Smith the third. Yes, yes, yes. And I I didn't realize this. I mean, he you know it, it kind of struck me the first thing when I read it was that he was from Queens, New York. And you know when I think New York City and that area, I don't think too many football fields around there. But uh, you know the the guy was born in Queens. Uh, he was raised in Utica. And he became a standout at Proctor uh, High School there in Utica, where he was a um, USA Today All-American pick. He was a pretty highly recruited uh, player and actually uh, played in the 2002 BCS National Championship with the Buckeyes. So, I mean, the guy had a stellar career before he even entered the NFL. And then you look at the two teams he played for with the Saints from 04 to 13, obviously, picking up a Super Bowl there with uh, Drew Brees and then uh, the New England Patriots. He played, um, you know, before he was cut, he played in the offseason with the Patriots. So, I mean, the the, the gentleman had quite the impressive uh, resume. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, coming out of high school, he uh, – or coming out of – excuse me, coming out of uh, the uh, – Coming out of college there at the Ohio State, uh, they did a few measurables. I don't believe he, uh, I don't believe he performed at the combine, but uh, he had a he did take the wonder lick. Uh, he didn't do a forty yard dash or anything like that because I mean, let's be honest, he was a defensive end, so he was a mm-hmm. bigger guy. But from what I see on his stats on NFL.com, the guy finished with four hundred and fifty nine ca- uh, tackles, sixty seven and a half sacks, twenty four fumbles, seven four fumble recoveries, and two interceptions. Uh, he was a Super Bowl champion, obviously. He was a Pro Bowl selection in '06. Uh, he was the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year in '03, the Big Ten Defensive Lineman of the Year in '03 a national champion, first team All-Big Ten, second team All-Big Ten, and, of course, now he's in the uh, New Orleans Saints Hall of Fame. So, I mean, quite an accomplished uh, quite an accomplished life for somebody who, you know, left us at 34. And he was um, – wasn't he a first-round draft pick? I believe he was a first-round draft pick by the Saints during that 03. Uh, 18th pick of the first round of the 04 draft. And, you know, uh, I know you don't know football, but that 04 draft is, you know, something that a lot of football fans really covet because of uh, the players that came out of there, especially the quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Right. And his it was during his second season – that of course Katrina and uh-huh. displacement of the Saints for most of the 2005-2006 season. Right. So he not only suffered through that, but he also, you know, I, I, it's kind of funny. I've thought about this before, but really, you know, you look at Katrina and 
I really thought about this. I guess really you can say New Orleans finally was back, you know, that night in Miami when they won the Super Bowl. So he was there for the beginning and the end of that curse, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and then 2014, he retired from the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I, believe that I was think by that time – was cut by the Patriots. Yeah, he was yeah. signed April fifth, and he was cut August twenty fourth. So I mean, it was, it was a pretty. He was probably if it was August twenty fourth, he was probably one of the final cuts that the Patriots made that preseason. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was married to uh, Raquel Joseph Smith. Yes, and yes. he the interesting thing that I found. Uh, that he chose instead of going back to New York when he retired, he chose to remain in Louisiana. Well, and they I mean, settled in Kenner. If you notice, a lot of football players, professional football players, do that. Like I'm sure, I'm sure Drew is not going back to uh, where's Purdue, Indiana, I think, or wherever Purdue no, 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 is. No, Austin. I'm sure Drew's He's from Austin, in. Texas. Oh, He's from he? Austin, okay. Texas. Well, yeah. I knew he went to Purdue, he's, so he's I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. But anyway, yeah. with that being said, I'm sure Drew's staying in New Orleans. Probably. Probably. And then he has a son from a prior um I believe he has two kids from a previous relationship. Oh nope, they have two yeah. children together. Yes, two with Raquel. Yeah. Uh William Junior. Or Will Junior. Right. And um, his children are um, a daughter named Lisa. I know that. I can't remember his younger son's name. Of course you remember the child named Lisa. I know. Lisa Smith. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, um, I my maiden name is William, so I can relate. Okay. <laughs> because Williams is a uh, you know is one of those common names like Smith, Johnson, Jones. You are um, lying about that. Williams is pretty common. Nothing like Carnahan. No, Carnahan is very unique, very Irish name. Absolutely. So, um, did you do any research on Cardell Hayes? I did not see anything on Cardell. Uh, I mean, minus, of course, you know, the issue with the the issue that led to Mr. Smith's death. I didn't see anything on Mr. Hayes. Okay. Uh, Luckily, I was able to, I was able to, in some of my research, find bits and pieces. Um, He was born in New Orleans. (laughs) Um, He has... I believe two sisters. He uh-huh. played high school football at Warren Eastern, and he was actually a very um, he was ranked very high among the high school prospects. Now I college. remember you said that right before we went on, and that kind of struck me. Did he? Uh, mm-hmm. Did he go? No. Was he recruited? No, he was not recruited. 
Um, I don't know whether there was a a difficulty leaving his family. Um, I don't know whether he was recruited or not. Hurricane Katrina, however, sort of spoiled that because he was from the Ninth Ward, which was uh-huh. very, very heavily impacted during the storm. Um, and he chose to go across the lake to, I believe it was Northeastern, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the name. This cold? And it's in Hammond. My yeah, my my a friend of mine lives there in Hammond, but I can't remember whether it's southeastern or northeastern Louisiana. Um, it's probably not. It's probably southeastern Louisiana, think, but they I don't really have a football program. Yeah, I think there is a school because I think we just had a quarterback transfer there from Arkansas last year. So mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but I think there is a school down there that it it's. It's not a big and and I certainly um, I don't know what it if you can try and look up he played with the Crescent City Kings if you can try and look up what position he played um, he was a big guy but apparently was very fast for a big guy Crescent City Kings okay let me look here Cordell Smith and no, Cordell. Cordell Hayes H A Y E S Cardell, C-A-R-D-E-L-L. See, I'm sitting here thinking of old Steeler quarterbacks, Cordell. Oh. Okay, he did attend southeastern Louisiana, about 60 miles from New Orleans. Yeah, but they're not a big football program. Oh, no, absolutely not. I think if I'm thinking of the they're like D two, D three. Okay. Um, and I think he may have played. He he may have transferred and played at UNO for a while. Okay. Um, there's there's not a lot. Like to to Lakewood. Pardon? I'm surprised the school like Tulane because Tulane's located in New Orleans, ain't they? Yeah, that's that is kind of well. Although Tulane's program was probably displaced. Yeah, that's true because they played their home games at that time in the Superdome, I believe. I don't know if they still mm-hmm. do. I thought they got a new stadium. No, they built a they built a new stadium, but uh, <laughs> so yeah, that so that that kind of like I said, it meant it may have been once the storm hit and the devastation. He just didn't feel that he could leave his family. Right. So he chose to stay. Um, But, of course, his chances for playing for an SEC or a Big Ten or, or, you know, a big, big team uh, in college and and moving on to the NFL were pretty much um, dashed at that point. Right. In December of 2005, his father, Anthony, went to a Walgreens on St. Charles Avenue, and the credit card reader declined his credit card. Um, Mr. Hayes apparently did not take that well. Um, 
and he had an altercation with one of the clerks at Walgreens. Police were called. He was out on the street uh, threatening people. Police came. He had armed himself with a knife, and police were trying to talk to him, trying to uh, get him to, you know, put the knife down, trying to get him some help. Uh, He was not having that. And officers say that he turned the knife around. I get the impression that he may have been threatening to harm himself. And then when the officer tried to get him to put the knife down, he changed the direction of the knife and ran at the officer. And he was shot by the other officers with him. Lisa... Just because of the day and age we live in and the erratic pattern of behavior, I've got to ask, I know he's not dead, so they can't diagnose him with it, but was anyone, did anyone do a behavioral uh, analysis? Mr. Hayes, Anthony Anthony Hayes, the father, did die as a result of that. Uh Uh-huh. The family said he had mental health issues. Um. But it's kind of it's kind of difficult for police, right? You may be dealing with someone with mental health issues, but they're not. Part of the problem is they're not rational. They're not Absolutely. listening. They're not going to listen. Nobody can say, and, "Oh, this is a football player. He may have CTE. I better watch out what I'm doing." Right? Oh, you're talking about Cardell Hayes having no. Um, That is, I was talking about the father. Yeah. Um, No, but interestingly, one of the officers, the officer who was trying to talk Mr. Hayes down was William Saravolo, whose name will come up later. Okay. Uh, Cardell Hayes and his sisters filed a lawsuit against the city of New Orleans and the police officers involved in the shooting. Uh, that lawsuit was pending in the United States District Court for the Eastern District of Louisiana. The city of New Orleans attempted to have the case dismissed on two occasions on summary judgment. Um, that was denied by the court, and the case settled prior, just prior to a trial setting. Hmm. Okay. There is a bit of a mystery or dispute as to the amount of that settlement. It's confidential, so there's no – all the documents related to the settlement at USDC would be sealed. Um, Cardell Hayes' attorneys say it was a multi-million dollar settlement, uh-huh. but according to news sources who uh, – obtained information in 2016, uh, the settlement was about $100,000 per air. Different. Now, the other thing that concerns me is that the city of New Orleans, you cannot execute a judgment against the city of New Orleans. So you can't go see City Hall to pay off a judgment. Like, couldn't they use taxes to pay that? Well, no, they because taxes are budgeted. 
Right. And the city council has to approve payment of uh, judgments and settlements. Mm-hmm. And city council does not approve payment of settlement and judgments because they're not making enough money, supposedly, to run the city, let alone pay off all these settlements and judgments. I know of three cases against the city of New Orleans going back to the 1980s where it either went to trial and there was a judgment or there was a settlement prior to trial, and those individuals are still waiting to be paid. I was about to say, so what the hell happens in that case? Because you're not going to go freaking arrest the mayor. Like, what's the point of even suing uh, them at that point? Uh, that's, I think that is their, that is their purpose. Um, our firm has two clients with claims against different city departments that were settled in 2011 and 2014. And I mean, we're way down at the bottom of the list. Uh, yeah, attorneys from our office went to a uh, went to a city council meeting, the budget meeting, and they weren't even going to budget money to pay off any of these outstanding settlements. Now, one caveat is that there may be a separate fund and procedure for cases like Mr. Hayes' case involving NOPD. Well, Lisa, I mean, the first thing I ask, honest to goodness question, I mean, I don't, this may be a crappy example because I don't believe the city of New Orleans owns it, but could somebody that owes, that the city owes a substantial amount of money, like walk into the Superdome and just be like, yo, this is mine now because y'all owe me so much money? No, because Louisiana legislature state law prohibits executing, foreclosing, doing anything against any municipality. Oh, wow. State, uh, city, state, or parish to collect a judgment. Now, um, and the city of New Orleans is also self-insured. So they have insurance, but they have to pay a certain amount before that insurance will kick in on the claim. Lisa, I'm not going to lie to you. That kind of sounds like bullshit. Well, it's similar. Memphis is the same because it was the same when I lived there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the plaintiff's firms that I worked with, we'd have you know people with cases against Memphis PD. No, we don't take those because they don't pay. City right. of Memphis, no, we don't take those because they don't pay. So, I mean... It sounds like there's no such thing as justice when you're fighting City Hall. Oh, just pretty much. I mean, the deck is stacked. Right. And like I said, that's Louisiana law. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas if somebody gets a judgment against you mm-hmm. as a person, they can take your car, they can call you into court in Louisiana at least for what's called a judgment debtor rule. And, I mean, they could take the jewelry off your body that you're wearing. Well, and that's exactly what I was with it. Use the Superdome as an example because it's the only yeah, piece that we're no. sure. State law. And most, I'm sure all states protect 
cities and, and municipalities in their jurisdiction from, from having seizures. Right. But, uh, you know, seizures done by litigants. Mm-hmm. Um, Cardell Hayes uh, has a young son, CJ, a longtime girlfriend who was like a high school sweetheart. Uh, they never married, but they have lived together. She's a teacher. Uh, his mother and uh, he he's cousin of uh, Freddie Ross, better known as Big Frida, a New Orleans bounce artist who probably is one of the people that brought New Orleans bounce music, which was kind of an underground club's music, to mm-hmm. the mainstream. Okay. So, um, so that is, yeah, that's that's pretty much on Cardell Hayes. And I don't know, I don't know if he has CTE. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't find his position. Because he's a defensive player. Or is it defensive players that take the most hits? Right, right, absolutely. I mean, you you pretty much, I've noticed that, you know, obviously it can happen at any position in football, but mostly, you know, the offensive and defensive linemen are the ones who are constantly banging heads, literally. And, you know, developed in the issues. Um, and yeah, uh, Cardell Hayes has worked as a tow truck driver. He's worked as a, uh, I think he's kind of worked tow truck driver and pouring con- concrete. He also bred, uh, bullies, which are a cross between a pit bull and a French bulldog. Uh-huh. So, um, I'm looking at the NOLA, I'm looking at NOLA sports uh, article on Cardell Hayes to see uh, if they list the position he played on the Crescent City Kings. Now, random question, but in this case, I know America was pretty ticked off at this at Cardell, but how did New Orleans feel? Because it was one of New Orleans' own versus one of their, you know, adopted sons. So, I mean... Did New Orleans take it personally, or? Well, it 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 depends on, you know, a lot of New Orleans took it personally, either on behalf of Will Smith or mm-hmm. on behalf of Cardell Hayes, uh, okay. which I'll get into a little bit later. Okay. So, uh, April ninth, twenty sixteen. Um, I don't see a position on the Crescent City Kings. It's a it's a gridiron development football league. Right. Um, I don't see what position he might have played. I think he played a defensive position in high school at Warren Eastern. Mm-hmm. But um, well, he's a bigger guy, so he wasn't playing. Yeah. Well, like I said, I one of the articles I read about him was for his size. He was freaking fast. 
Oh, really? He okay. didn't think he could move that fast, and he did. Hmm. So, um, all right, so April 9th, 2016, uh, Will Smith and his wife go to the French Quarter Festival, which happens every year. They play music. It's it's in the French Quarter. There are different bandstands. There are some competitions. They enjoyed their day at the French Quarter Festival. They went to Saki Cafe, which I believe is on Magazine Street, uh, and had dinner. And uh, there's a picture that I posted on the show page of William Saravallo, who was a friend of Will Smith, and Pierre Thomas that was taken at Saki Cafe. Oh, wow. Just minutes so, uh, before. It was a popular spot. Yes, it's a very popular okay. spot. Um, they made plans to go to the Windsor Court Hotel. Um, Mr. Saravallo went ahead. Pierre Thomas went ahead. Uh, Raquel Smith and Will Smith were joined by the Hernandezes, which who are neighbors of theirs in Kenner. Uh, they oh, were in Smith. Thinking the other Hernandez. Oh no, um, no, the not a football, not a football player, Hernandez. They were just neighbors oh. from Kenner, but they were there. Um, they get into Will Smith's Mercedes SUV. They're going up Magazine Street, going toward downtown. At that time, um, Cardell Hayes had checked out a – after working all day, going to the barbershop, he had checked out a party uptown. It wasn't hot enough for him or, or you know, it was kind of a dud party. So he mm-hmm. and his friend Kevin O'Neill decided they would go back to the barbershop and get O'Neill's car. So they're headed – back to the Treme area. Right. They're on magazine. They stop at a light. And I believe in Will in Cardell Hayes' testimony, he said he had to put on his brakes fast. Like he wasn't, you know, the light turned red and it caught him off guard and he slammed on his brakes. Right. Uh, the Mercedes SUV was behind his Hummer. He's driving a Hummer. Will Smith's driving a Mercedes SUV. Right. Um, uh, he slammed on his brakes, according to his testimony. The SU- the Mercedes SUV on surveillance video on Magazine Street does appear to tap the back bumper of the Hummer. Right. The people in the vehicle... However, in the SUV, the Mercedes, they don't believe the ve- the vehicles made contact at all. Uh, okay. Another thing on Magazine Street, there is there are very few places with off street parking. All parking is on the street. Uh huh. And so when you're driving on Magazine, whether you're going uptown or going downtown, you're what you have call. a lot of times is people who are Seeing a parking space, coming to a sudden stop, to then pull into the parking space. Right. Um, I used to drive magazine every day, morning and, and, and evening, and it drove me crazy. 
because people would just suddenly slam on the brakes and then either pull forward and try and parallel park, and it's only two lanes, one going each way, or they would slam on the brakes and then sit there for a minute and try and figure it out if they're even going to fit in the spot. And you're stuck because there's traffic constantly coming, and you can't pull over and go around them. You just you're stuck, so it can be very frustrating. And so when the vehicles make contact, whether it's significant or 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 light, Cardo Hayes vehicle pulls over to the side, and the Mercedes goes around and continues back toward downtown. Cardell Hayes had been involved in another hit-and-run collision, which did significant damage to his vehicle, and he had apparently made a collision claim, and his insurance rates had gone up. Mm -hmm. Instead of calling the police and waiting on Magazine Street, Cardell Hayes decides to pursue the Mercedes. Wow. Um, He has a passenger, Kevin O'Neill, in the vehicle, but he doesn't tell Kevin O'Neill, take a picture of the license plate, call 911, or any of that. Dead, according to his testimony, he was trying to unlock his phone when a few blocks later, his Hummer slams into the Mercedes SUV with significant force Enough to break the back windshield of the Mercedes SUV. And do a pretty good number on the Hummer's front end. Right. Now, after this, um, one of the problems with this case is there are a lot of more reasonable things that everyone involved could have and should have done. Absolutely. And they did not do them. Um, right. More reasonable, Cardell Hayes, call 911. You know, Kevin O'Neill could have snapped a picture of the license plate of the Mercedes and then waited for police, given them the license plate, the police, NOPD, and they do follow up. I work for personal injury attorneys. We have had many hit and run cases. And when you can give them a license plate number, they will find the person. Uh And they will, you know, issue a report accordingly. Right. So, you know, and it's, it's a Mercedes SUV. Now, yes, when the two vehicles may have made contact, may you know, it might have probably been better. Because of the near-miss nature for Will Smith to get out of the vehicle and say, oh, dude, and let them look at the bumper and see there's no damage to Hayes' rear bumper, no damage to the front end of the Mercedes, and both go on their ways. Right. That didn't happen. So Cardell Hayes gets out of his vehicle in his testimony – he said he got out of the vehicle and only retrieved the gun from his gun from the vehicle when he was threatened 
by Richard Hernandez, who was one of Will Smith's passengers. Hernandez was putting on a bit of a show. He threw his shirt off. He was, you know, taunting Smith and Kevin O'Neill, who are, I mean, Hayes and Kevin O'Neill, who are both pretty big guys. Uh, He was egging on Will Smith. Um, uh, But witnesses, including Kevin O'Neill, testified that when Cardell Hayes got out of his Hummer, he had his gun on him. Mm-hmm. Um, some point after I took my gun classes, Louisiana became an open carry state, and I don't know exactly when that was. When I took my gun classes, we were not open carry because we were told you can keep it in your car and you can keep it in your house. But when you're transporting it between your car and your house or your house and your car, be very careful (laughs) because if you're seen carrying it, the police are going to come talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So um, although Cardell Hayes had a misdemeanor uh, drug and weapons charge 2014, Uh but I guess the misdemeanor did not did not make him ineligible to possess or handle firearms. Right. Um, So during this, uh, Will Smith and Cardell Hayes exchanged words. What the witnesses heard and observed and what Cardell Hayes heard and observed and what Kevin O'Neill heard and observed at trial were pretty diametrically opposed to one another. And for me, getting out of your vehicle with a gun. Oh yeah. He knew what he was on you in your hand is not a calm, reasonable, rational, rational thing. Um, so I, I kind of, I don't believe that he went and retrieved his gun after and Hernandez. He didn't shoot Hernandez. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, he shot Will Smith. Now, Raquel Smith, she tried to deescalate the situation. She pretty much put herself between Hayes and Smith and said, you know, y'all don't do this. She told Hayes, we've got kids. She reminded Will Smith, they had three children. Don't do this. And, Will Smith seems to have taken her advice and was returning to the vehicle to get a cell phone and contact police to have them come run an accident report. Mm-hmm. As he was returning to his vehicle, however, Cardell Hayes shot him once in the side. Um, Raquel Smith was also wounded. She was shot once in each leg. Jesus Christ. And then Cardell Hayes followed Will Smith and shot him seven more times, all in the back. Hold up, and this is manslaughter? We'll we'll get to that. I'm gonna explain what I'm I'm gonna explain what I believe the jury found. Yeah, you're, um, you, yeah, you, yeah, fucked up since the manslaughter. Yeah, 
Um, now, Cardell Hayes, to his credit, he believed he was defending himself. He believed he'd been threatened, although none of the witnesses, and there were, aside from the witnesses in Smith's vehicle and Smith's friends, there were three independent witnesses, one who had an apartment uh, at the scene and two who were sitting at an outside table at a local bar. Wait, so hold on. Who witnessed no, the whole thing. No if you shoot the dude seven times in the back. Uh, well, Cardell Hayes' testimony, and again, we'll get to a little bit more when we talk about the trial. Um, Cardell Hayes' testimony is that he fired once and the gun fired seven times on its own. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Yeah. But, um, and, you know, a Ruger pistol, that's not what happens because Rugers have, in addition to five pounds of pressure that you have to put on the trigger to Mm -hmm. fire the weapon, there's apparently a safety mechanism that you have to engage in order to be able to pull the trigger. And there's no burst feature in pistols either. Right. So, um, yeah, there, but, and there were independent witnesses. Um, while a gun was found in Will Smith's vehicle, it was in a holster between the console and the driver's seat. It was not in Will Smith's hand. It had not been taken out of the vehicle. Um, and, you know, there there was a finding of gunpowder residue on the tops of Will Smith's hands. Uh-huh. But I would suggest, even though Cardell Hayes' attorneys believe it's fanciful, uh, I would suggest that that would be consistent with being shot eight times. Probably. At close range. And Raquel Smith testified that Cardell, Cardell Hayes stood over Will Smith's body and kind of continued, kind of taunted him. Um, now, like I said, he, 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 did, he did stay at the scene because he believed he was completely justified. Um, He was arrested. The bond was set over a million dollars. It wasn't a bond he could afford to to post. So he was going to remain in jail until trial. Now, this is one of the other things that comes up in the supporters' arguments. Um, A lot was made of the fact that he was indicted on the 28th of April. And went to trial in December. But his attorneys filed a motion for speedy trial. Um, let's be honest here. And That's kind of Most people wait like two, three years on high-profile murder cases. Because, well, yeah, but because he was in, because he was in jail awaiting trial, it's in his best interest, especially it being Orleans Parish Prison. It was in his best best interest to get him to trial so that if there's an acquittal, he's out of Orleans Parish Prison quick. Right. Um, 
so you know I, I think it, the you know the speedy trial that's that's to protect the defendant's rights, and that's the right True. of a defendant to have a yeah. speedy trial. And most states prescribe that trial has to commence between nine months and twelve months after the offense or after the arrest. Okay. And if it doesn't, it has to be attributable to the defense, not the state. Uh-huh. Uh, but anyway, yeah, he he was indicted on um, on April twenty eighth, twenty sixteen, for second degree murder. Um, his he privately retained John Fuller, who is a defense attorney. And remember, I I when I went to my jury uh, duty. I was called into a panel, and John Fuller was the attorney. Right. And John Fuller did do a hell of a job giving statements to the media. However, a lot of the statements that he made to the media, he he basically his mouth was writing checks that the evidence would not let him cash. For example, he claimed to have a video of William Saravolo removing a gun from Will Smith's vehicle. There was no such video. Perhaps the video he was thinking of was the video of William Saravolo, who had been involved in the shooting of Anthony Hayes, although he did not shoot Anthony Hayes. He was the one trying to talk Anthony Hayes down to get him to drop the knife. Uh, when Mr. Hayes rushed him with the knife pointed toward him, presumably to do him harm, uh, when he when Mr. Hayes was shot, coincidentally, eight or nine times. Right. Um, however, Cardell Hayes didn't realize the person he had had the altercation with was Will Smith. He didn't realize the person he'd shot was Will Smith. So the the presence of Mr. Saravolo at any point in the evening is just one of those coincidences that happens in New Orleans because for a big city, it's a small town. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, John Fuller was on TV, and, and he pushed the uh, self-defense narrative. He made a lot of the fact that Will Smith's blood alcohol level was three times the legal limit of 0.08. Um, but the last time I checked, DUI is not a capital offense. Right. So, but kind of implying, you know, if he hadn't been driving drunk, none of this would have happened. No, if your client had called 911 on Magazine Street and said, I just got hit by a silver Mercedes SUV, here's the license plate number. Um, none of this would have happened. Uh, if nobody got out of their cars after the second impact, if both parties had just stayed in their cars and called 911 and waited for police to get there, none of it would have happened. Um, so, uh, yeah, the video that I'm thinking that John Fuller was thinking of was the one showing William Saravolo at the time of the shooting 
and after the shooting until well after NOPD was on the scene was shown in the Windsor Court surveillance footage showing that it's impossible for William Saravolo to have been at the scene removing a weapon from Will Smith's vehicle before police arrived as alleged by John Fuller. Mm-hmm. Um, he pushed the self-defense. He pushed the blood alcohol level. He also pushed the Smith as the aggressor narrative. However, to me, following a vehicle and ramming into it hard enough to break the windshield in the back, I'd say is pretty aggressive. Now, and I'll Lisa, go a step further. The person who's driving that vehicle getting out pissed is not unreasonable. Lisa, you already know I call bullshit, but I don't think he intentionally rammed it the way you put it out there. Will, will that's that's gonna that's gonna come, okay? okay. That is gonna, and you know, again, reasonableness is a state of mind. So right. Will Smith's state of mind, he's driving along Sophie's, Sophie Wright Place. Yes, he had a close call. He almost rear-ended somebody on magazine, but he doesn't believe he rear-ended them. Right. Nor do any of his passengers believe that they rear-ended the Hummer. Right. They're going to the Windsor Court. They're driving on Sophie Wright Place, and all of a sudden they come to a stop, and bam, a Hummer runs into them. Mm-hmm. And the back window shatters. Yeah, you're going to be pissed. And yes. you're going to believe it was intentional. You know? Um, so, and, and apparently when Smith yelled at Cardell Hayes, you ran into my vehicle. Cardell Hayes said, you hit me first. Oh, Lord. So, uh, and then, of course, like I said, he, just conspiracy by the NOPD. Uh, he tried to get the NOPD removed as the investigators, which was denied. He tried to get the Orleans Parish DA's office removed because the DA's had apparently compiled a dossier on Mr. Fuller. And they had distributed it to various press outlets or distributed it to one who didn't share it with anybody. And I've been trying to get my hands on that dossier for like three weeks now. And I've not been able to find it. Um, Because John Fuller is, you know, he's kind of like, he's like the Brian Claypool of New Orleans. He's never met a camera he doesn't like. Um. Yes, he's fighting for his clients, but he does so through publicity in the court of public opinion rather than trying his case substantial in a court of law, in a right. court of law. So the trial comes, and um, there are multiple witnesses to testify. Uh, the witnesses in the Smith vehicle testify. Then the the three independent witnesses testify. There's an expert who has examined the vehicle data, which showed that contrary to Cardell Hayes' claim that the Mercedes slammed on the brakes, it didn't. It came to a normal stop. 
And contrary to Cardell Hayes' claims that he tried to stop the Hummer before he rear-ended the SUV, the Mercedes, uh, he didn't put his brakes on until like a second before the collision and only reduced the Hummer's speed by one mile an hour. Oh, I got you. Uh, according to his testimony, at the time, he was looking at trying to unlock his iPhone, which last time I checked is illegal to do when you're driving a vehicle in Louisiana. Very? I mean, I don't know about Louisiana, but I know Arkansas. And it, see, the thing I don't understand, he has Kevin O'Neill, who has his own cell phone. Right. In the passenger seat of the Hummer. Why is he not having Kevin O'Neill take a picture of the license plate on the Mercedes? Call 911. Of course, I've been involved in a in a pursuit of an erratic driver on I-40 in Arkansas. And mm-hmm. we were eventually told by the Arkansas State Police Dispatcher to discontinue our pursuit. Mm-hmm. We had a, we saw an erratic driver on the Dolly Parton Bridge in Memphis, and we were going through West Memphis and Marion, and um, the Arkansas State Police, you know, a vehicle, either Marion Police or Crittenden County Sheriff or Arkansas State Police got on the interstate as we were getting into Marion. And so the dispatcher said, okay, we've got, we've got a vehicle, we've got a unit, y'all need to stop. Yeah, and they're like, absolutely. okay. But my friend was driving, and I was on the phone with the dispatchers, relaying what information I could about the the vehicle that we were we were following. Mm-hmm. And it was bad because it was at night, so it was hard to tell color. Um, I could tell the make and model of the vehicle, but I couldn't tell the year. Right. Um. I I couldn't see the license plate. I couldn't see if it was even if it was an Arkansas plate. Really? Um, yeah, because he we were not we weren't close. Oh, okay. We we did not you know like get up on him. We stayed behind him where we could always see where he was going. Our shoes. But I mean, they were like you know straddling lanes and driving on the berm and driving on the shoulder and, you know, just pinballing around I-40. Luckily, it was after, like, 10 o'clock at night, and there wasn't really any other traffic. Right. But, you know, my Gone. friend wasn't trying to talk to the dispatchers. He would occasionally, he would occasionally tell me something to tell the dispatcher. Right. As far as, you know, what exit we would pass, what mile markers we passed, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, you know, why he didn't have Kevin O'Neill doing those things and why he didn't focus on the road, I don't know. Um, and then there was also a firearm ballistics expert who uh, testified the only gun fired was Cardell Hayes' gun. There was no second gun. There was no gun shot at Mr. Hayes. Raquel Smith was shot by Mr. Hayes. And um, all the casings were consistent with his his weapon. 
And one of those casings was found inside the Mercedes. Uh-huh. So, uh, and the location, that the location of the casings were not consistent with Cardell Hayes' claim of where he was when he, when he fired the shots. Uh, the defense case was basically the gunpowder residue on Will Smith's hands. But again, if you're shot at close range, especially if you're shot nine, eight times at close range, you're going to have gunpowder residue on your hands. Absolutely. Um, so that's not proof that he fired a gun. And none of the independent witnesses observed a gun. The only gun they ever observed was Cardell Hayes' gun. Mm-hmm. And then Hayes testified. But unfortunately, again, his testimony was refuted by these multiple witnesses as well as the data from his vehicle and, and Will Smith's vehicle, the firearms uh, and the ballistics. Um, and so basically his testimony was like he observed something completely some other event. Right. But his testimony would have been consistent with a true self-defense. Um, I also stand your ground. I don't know that Louisiana really has a stand your ground law. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if they did have such a law prior to trial, a motion to dismiss, if they had such a law, Cardell Hayes couldn't have been tried. Right. Basically. Um, but they, of course, I think Cardell Hayes' testimony at any stand your ground hearing would have ended up with the case, you know, the motion to dismiss not being granted. Um, but I, I, again, some of Cardell Hayes' actions can be interpreted as aggressive, following oh, the Mercedes, rear-ending the Mercedes, saying, you hit me first, having a gun in your hand or on your person when you get out of the vehicle. And while I'm sure Cardell Hayes was a good person, and he loved his mom, and he loved his son, and he loved his girlfriend, and he was great to all his friends, and he was kind and generous, April 9, 2016 was not one of his better days. Maybe he was frustrated because now he thought, I have more damage to this Hummer that he apparently didn't drive a lot because it probably looks at a gas tank. Yeah. You know, a gas, a, a gas, uh, a gas station, and costs money because um, yeah. I think they get like three miles to a gallon. You are lying. Um, <laughs> and uh, but he doesn't drive it very often. But he's driving it that night, and you know now he's going to have to make another collision claim to fix the damage because another person hit and run. And, then and he maybe he was pissed because he didn't catch that first hit and run driver. Mm-hmm. Because I gotta wonder, I gotta, I would, I would love to ask him, did you pursue that hit and run driver? If not, why did you pursue Mr. Smith? Very true. 
Um, and so as far as I think among second degree murder was the top count, but the evidence presented at the trial was enough for a lesser included offense, which is manslaughter and attempted mm-hmm. manslaughter. And so that was a lesser included offense. Um, the jury took not I think they got the case on Sunday and they had a verdict by later Sunday night. Oh, wow. Um, and they they did convict him 10 to 2 of manslaughter and attempted manslaughter for the wounding of Raquel Smith. Mm-hmm. The reason I believe that they did that is that while Cardell Hayes's Testimony was refuted in a lot of ways. It still demonstrated that um, there was some provocation by but Richard Hernandez and or we, Will Smith. We both agreed that, I mean, if we want to go the provocation route, why the hell didn't he shoot Hernandez? Well, yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. If he'd have popped Hernandez, I I think it would have been probably manslaughter to begin with. But Will Smith, I mean, he describes Will Smith's behavior as, uh, Will Smith was probably, yeah, he was pissed. Yeah, I'm sure he was. You know, but he, I would be, you know, I would be too if somebody rammed into the back of my car. Exactly. Luckily... at me before, and you I know, never thought I'll oh, shoot this person. Yeah. So, um, but the 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 manslaughter may have been a compromise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I I wish that George Zimmerman's jury had at least found him guilty of manslaughter. Oh, I, I believe that's what George Zimmerman did was manslaughter. Mm-hmm. Um. And, you know, but at, at all parties, Cardell Hayes, Will Smith, and, and Richard Hernandez, they all made bad fucking decisions that night. Oh, absolutely. You know, and and it's it's kind of like the perfect storm of bad decisions that end Will Smith's life and, for all intents and purposes, end Cardell Hayes' life. Right. Now, Cardell Hayes allegedly, after he shot Will Smith, he wanted it. You know, he wanted an ambulance to get there. He didn't want to kill him. Never intended to kill him. Didn't intend to shoot him eight times. Seven in the back. Um, but then he says he went and looked at the back of his Hummer, and apparently saw no damage. Oh my God! And started crying like a baby because he just took somebody's life for nothing. Right. And then he said something along the lines are going to make it look like I shot and killed this man. It's like, baby, you what? did shoot and kill him. Yeah. That was you holding the gun. Yeah. You know, Video it probably button. it probably would have been better for Cardell Hayes and Kevin O'Neill if they'd have gotten in the Hummer and hauled ass away. Right. Maybe they could have gotten um, lost. But again, somewhere. But and and this is another thing, and it's I've seen it in 
in teenagers. I've seen it in 20-somethings, and I've seen it in 30-somethings. There's this almost for some, not all, but for some, a sense of entitlement. If you do me wrong, whatever I do to you to get back is justified. Right. No matter what it is. You flip the bird at me in traffic, and I don't like that. I could throw something through the window of your car and break your window, and it's your fault. Instead of taking responsibility for his own actions and the part that he plays. Right. He says he felt threatened, but baby, you wouldn't have been threatened if you hadn't pursued the Mercedes. Exactly. You wouldn't have been threatened if you called 911. Now, um, Kevin O'Neill uh, mentioned something about the fact that, you know, members of their community do not uh, particularly relish encounters with New Orleans Police Department. Right. Um, but when you're the injured party in a rear-end collision that is a hit-and-run, I, I don't see how calling NOPD could be that big a negative experience. Exactly. At the end of the day, you got to take Unless, that and move on. Yeah. So um, now the sentencing uh, is done by the judge. It's not done by the jury. So the sentencing hearing was scheduled for uh, several months after the the conviction in December. Just prior to the sentencing hearing in April, Cardell Hayes' attorney filed a motion for new trial based on new evidence. Uh Uh, First, he had received emails from a witness who lived several blocks from the shooting scene who claimed to have heard more than two guns being fired on the night of April 9th, 2016, which would have corroborated Cardell's Hayes' claim that Will Smith retrieved a gun from the Mercedes and fired at him first. Do we have any sort of surveillance footage of this? I don't think that there there was surveillance that covered a part further down the street that kind of caught the impact between the Hummer and the Mercedes SUV. Uh But there was apparently no surveillance covering the two vehicles after that collision. Oh, shit. Um, Anyway, so this witness, uh, turned out to be quite a character. He testified at a hearing. He didn't own a watch, a TV, a computer, a laptop, a cell phone, had no idea days. Um, and just believed that on April 9th, 2016, he heard a smaller caliber weapon being fired prior to Cardell Hayes' 45 caliber Ruger being fired. The problem with that is that he reported four shots from the small caliber weapon rather than the one shot Cardell Hayes claimed. 
was found. Mm-hmm. Uh, no bullets were found from a like a thirty eight or a smaller caliber weapon. Uh, Kevin O'Neill also had a weapon. It remained in the in the vehicle because when Kevin O'Neill got out of the vehicle and dealt with Richard Hernandez and another because there was a third vehicle involved that was in front of the Smith vehicle that was rear-ended by the Smith vehicle after the impact with the Hummer. Um, uh, I think the gentleman's name was Whipple. When Mr. Hernandez and Mr. Whipple were acting foolish, Kevin O'Neill was just like, okay, y'all. Y'all are stupid, but he didn't get his gun. Right. Cardinal Hayes also claimed to see Hernandez wrapping something shiny in his shirt, but no knife or anything was ever found that would corroborate that. Now, Hernandez and his wife did end up leaving the scene, but that was probably due to embarrassment because of the because of the foolishness of Richard Hernandez. But again, Cardell Hayes didn't shoot it. If Cardell Hayes had shot Richard Hernandez, I could maybe see it. You know, but he didn't. He shot Will Will Smith. Yeah. Um, and then they also tried to argue that, however Raquel Raquel was shot, it was accidental discharge because on one of her medical records, a doctor or a tech or a nurse wrote accidental firearm discharge. Now, that neither one of these neither one of these theories went anywhere. The judge denied the, the new trial claim. Uh, and now, went Lisa, on and proceeded with Cardell Hayes' sentencing. Lisa, I'm going to be honest with you. I Personally, I think that at the end of the day, here's what happened. I think the dude recognized Will, and that's why he shot him. Well, you know, I I don't know that, you know, he claims to have followed Will Smith's career and, and you know, looked up to Will Smith as a football player. Mm-hmm. That's and, crazy. you know, they didn't know one another. They were, they were strangers. Right. I, I don't see what reason. I think that, you know, Phil, uh, Will Smith was a big guy. Uh, Taran Matthew also made an interesting Twitter post Mm -hmm. uh, claiming that he had known Cardell Hayes, who was angry and who was a coward. That's why he used a gun. And Hayes was described as a gentle giant by all his friends and family members. But, you know, there was probably some anger because he was probably pretty angry about his father being killed after Katrina. Right. Uh, he may have been angry about, you know, missing out on what could have been a promising career in the NFL because of Katrina and because of circumstances beyond his control. Right. And because of the duty that he felt to stay close to his family rather than going off to college. True. Um, he may have been angry because you know, the Crescent City Kings don't get a lot of media attention. 
Well, I mean, at the end of the day, life's life, boo-boo. you got to deal with that. Right. But, you know, sometimes you do, you build up anger and resentment. Um, I don't know that he, I, I don't think that he recognized Will Smith or, I think he just saw a big guy in a fancy, expensive car. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, just kind of snapped. Right. And I think he felt justified. He hit me first. Yeah. So whatever I do, it's his fault. Because if he hadn't rear-ended me, we wouldn't be here. Right. And like I said, no, baby, you wouldn't be here if you'd have called 911 and stayed on Magazine Street. Hell, you wouldn't have been here if you wouldn't have just got if you would have just not gotten out of the car and called nine one one after right. the second. After after you unintentionally rear ended the vehicle, you should have rolled down your window and said, Okay, you hit me, I hit you, we're even by Yeah, even now. <laughs> and been done with it. A fleeing machine charge is a lot better than a manslaughter charge. So, um, but anyway, I, he, you know, every, I think, like I said, I'm not saying it's just Cardell Hayes because Will Smith, he shouldn't have gotten out of his car. Right. Absolutely. He should have picked up his cell phone, dialed 911. Somebody just rear-ended me. If Cardell Hayes came up to his vehicle and wanted to start something, at least he would have been on the phone with 911 and there would have been a record. Yeah. Of exactly who was irate and who wasn't. Like I said, I don't think it's unreasonable after the 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 significant impact of the Hummer into the rear of the Mercedes, I don't think it's unreasonable for Will Smith to have been pissed. Oh, absolutely. I don't think not. it's unreasonable for Richard Hernandez to have been pissed. No offense, but that's a fucking Mercedes. Yeah. So, um, the sentencing, the state was seeking 60 years. Uh, There's an enhancement for the use of a firearm. And um, Cardell Hayes was seeking the minimum, which I think was like 20 years on the manslaughter and... um, Five, you know, to ten on the on the attempted manslaughter. Uh, the judge Camille right. Burris sort of landed in the middle. She sentenced him to twenty five years on the um, manslaughter, and then she sentenced him to fifteen years on the attempted manslaughter to be served concurrently. So basically. He'll finish serving the attempted manslaughter and then finish serving the manslaughter and be eligible for parole. Oh, that's they should have at, at least some point. They should they should have I'm, done and I'm not sure I, I'm not oh. sure what Louisiana um he did at his sentencing hearing, he did speak and he did apologize to Raquel Smith. And he did express some remorse. 
Um, so I, I think that's why the judge sentenced him. Because, I mean, in, in Louisiana, manslaughter can be 40 years. Right. So um, the judge kind of landed in the middle. I think the state was seeking 40 on the manslaughter and 20 on the attempted manslaughter to be served consecutive. And Cardell Hayes was seeking the minimum of 20 on the manslaughter and as little as possible on the attempt. Right. Um, So I I think she landed kind of somewhere in the middle. Raquel Smith was not happy with that sentence. I can't really blame her. Um, But, you know, hopefully Cardell Hayes has learned something. Huh? Why the hell are they concurrent? Well, that's kind of discretionary with the judge. I don't know. And again, like, I think I, I think with him showing some remorse and apologizing to Raquel Smith, mm-hmm. I think that uh, you know it it I think it did entitle him to some mitigation. Right. And that would be concurrent sentences rather than consecutive sentences. Consecutive sentences are meant to keep somebody off the streets. That's my point. And, uh, but I think, like I said, I think he he won't be able to legally possess a firearm because he's been convicted of a felony. Right. So, um, but you know, I I I think he's got a he's got a young child, um, and he's led more or less a pretty exemplary life. Mm-hmm. Aside from the one brush with the law in 2014, where he did he did plead guilty to a misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And, um, you know, he hasn't been involved in criminal activity. He's worked. He's provided for his family. He's provided for himself. You know, so I I think he did deserve a little bit of mitigation. Well, now he wants more, apparently. Well, he filed his direct appeal. It was decided in March 2019 by the Louisiana uh, Fourth Circuit Court of Appeal. Uh, his uh, direct appeal was his, basically his conviction and sentence were both affirmed. Um, he had challenged the exclusion of some evidence of an incident in Lafayette in 2010 where Will Smith allegedly dragged Raquel Smith out of a bar by her hair while drinking. Um, The problem with that is, first of all, he didn't know it was Will Smith. Even he said he didn't know it was Will Smith, so he wouldn't have known any of that stuff about Will Smith when he shot him. Right. Um, And second... They didn't get a verified copy of the arrest reports 
or any of the information. The, the charges were dropped or not pursued by the Lafayette Parish prosecutor. So Will Smith was never convicted of domestic violence or domestic battery. He had right. been accused, but he was never convicted. Um, and they could have, they might have been able to get it in, but for the fact that Cardell Hayes, Hayes said, I didn't know that was Will Smith. Oh, good Lord. I found out it was Will Smith after I was in jail and somebody told me it was Will Smith and that he was dead. And I cried like a baby again. Um, so you can't, you can't use something uh, about a victim if you didn't know the victim and you didn't know or didn't have reason to know, it's not relevant. If you didn't know the victim and didn't have reason to know that this incident had occurred at the time right. of the crime. So that's why uh, that was properly excluded. Uh, and again, that you know, John Fuller might have been able to get it in had he gotten the records. Verified records, certified records from the courts or the police in Lafayette. Right. Uh, but he didn't do that. And then they raised a claim about testimony from Deuce McAllister. Uh, I'm not going to try and say Deuce's real first name. Uh, oh, bless his heart. No, it's not. His, his real name is not Deuce. But okay. uh, he testified. He was the first witness, and he testified a little bit about Will uh, about Will Smith and um, Will Smith's character, et cetera. And they objected to that. However, because Cardell was Cardell Hayes was claiming self defense and justification, that was something that the prosecution was entitled to develop at trial, and they did not cross the line into victim impact. Right, I agree. Also, again, John Fuller was kind of criticized because the objections that he raised in the trial court were not the grounds that he raised in the direct appeal. Mm-hmm. And you have to raise the the same grounds in the trial court that you're going to raise in the direct appeal. Because right. if you raise one ground in the trial court and you lose, and then you find a totally different ground and use that in your direct appeal, basically you're, you haven't given the trial court a chance to correct the error. True. Um, and then he challenged the sufficiency of the evidence that the court found for manslaughter it's sufficient. Uh, that the evidence was sufficient to sustain the manslaughter conviction. And, um, you know, that was basically it. Now, in May of 2019, a writ was filed at the Louisiana Supreme Court seeking its review of Cardell Hayes' conviction and sentence. Uh, That writ is still pending as of today. I will keep an eye on it. And it'll probably be pretty big news whenever it is uh, 
whenever it is decided one way or the other. If right. they accept the writ, they'll set a briefing schedule, and then we'll probably see a reported case. If they deny the writ, you know, they'll at least do like a journal entry that they've denied the writ. Right. And then his attorneys may go to the U.S. Supreme Court. I don't know. So, um, and then Hayes, uh, I watched a, a, a pro-Cardell Hayes documentary today uh-huh. uh, on Red Card. Oh, it's, it was Red Card, and it was on YouTube. And... <clears throat> One of the supporters of uh, of Cardell Hayes is a cousin, Big Frida, who I talked about. Yeah. You know, I think one of the people, or maybe the person, I don't know, uh, who brought the kind of underground bounce music culture. Uh, I uploaded a song. Uh, why don't you play that for a second? <clears throat> the mainstream. Would you Break. put it up? I put it on a break. Oh, okay. That is bounce music. I'm sorry. I don't know why I said culture. Bounce music. Um, and um, actually, I mean, some of them, you know, because we hear them in Mardi Gras and hear them with football games and stuff like oh. that. Um, you know, some of them are pretty good. That's new. That's called No Bounce. Okay. Um, and she's got a few albums and. Like I said, she's you know brought it brought a piece of New Orleans music to mainstream. Right. Not necessarily everybody's cup of tea, but uh, but there's <laughs> I mean, also it, some you know you you hear some um, Latin influence in there too. Yeah, definitely. I can agree. So, um, but uh, yes, yeah, she's she's one of his biggest supporters. Um, and then, you know, the, his family, basically they are, you know, they still believe this was self-defense and if he'd been a white guy, he would have, you know, never even been charged and, you know, but because it was, that it's racial and. It's got nothing to do with the you fact know, not, that he's a black man. No, really, top. because Will Smith was Will Smith was also an African American. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's what I just said. It's got nothing to do with the fact that he shot another black man in the freaking back seven uh, times. So, you know, and Cardell Hayes didn't consider Mr. Hernandez to be white. He's Hispanic. Right. And the other guy he thought, I can't remember his name. I think it was like Whipple. Um, uh, you know, he thought was, was not, you know, Hispanic. So uh, there were all minorities involved in this crime. But it's racist. In this altercation. Um, they also, you know, they believe the court system was unfair, that he was convicted before his trial. Well, obviously, if the court system were that unfair, the jurors would have convicted him of second-degree murder. And that's yeah. a life sentence. Mandatory yeah. life sentence. And he would have gotten consecutive sentences rather than concurrent sentences, too. Just Correct. Correct. And he would have gotten 40 years on the manslaughter and another 20 years on the attempted manslaughter, and they would have been consecutive, not concurrent. So he would have spent the rest of his life in Angola. People piss me off, Lisa. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and... and uh, they, you know, the there was a lot made of the fact that Sean Payton, Drew Brees, uh, came to the courthouse every day and sat through the trial. But you know, they were supporting a member of their family. Absolutely. I... Who died tragically? And again, I don't think Will Smith was a saint. You know, he should not have been driving. Oh, no, yeah. They should have called an Uber to take them from Saki Cafe down to Windsor Court and then take them back home to Kenner and then come get your car tomorrow. I agree. I agree. If, you know, if the ladies weren't imbibing, then one of them should have been behind the wheel. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you know when he had the near miss with the Hummer, maybe he should have stopped, pulled over, gotten out, said, "Dude, I'm sorry. Look at it. It's okay. You're okay. We'll, you know, we'll be on our way." Because apparently, Cardell Hayes and Kevin O'Neill were headed home. They were going yeah. to get O'Neill's car in Treme, and then you know they were both going home. Right. Uh, but, you know, the, a lot of people, but I think the thing that, that, that kind of struck me is that Cardell Hayes doesn't see his actions, which actions were over the line. Right. Pursuing the Mercedes was over the line. Pursuing the Mercedes was aggression. I agree. And I'll bet you there was a lot of MFR going on oh, yeah. in that pursuit from magazine to Sophie Wright to Sophie Wright and Felicity. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, you can get that. And then, you know, Cardell Hayes invented a entirely self-serving exculpatory story that was totally... I mean, completely refuted by the three independent witnesses. You can argue, well, you know, they just believe the people in Will Smith's car, and they all lied because 
Yeah. But, you know, there were three independent witnesses. Right. Who didn't have a dog in the fight. Are they lying? And, you know, it's kind of almost everybody's lying but Cardell Hayes. Exactly. Or everybody who's saying negative stuff about Cardell Hayes, they all lying, but we're telling the truth. And we're the only ones telling the truth. And, you know, again, when you get into those absolutes and you can't see the gray area, that's where, you know, it becomes a problem. And, you know, they even compared the shooting of Joe McKnight over in Jefferson Parish. Oh, dear Lord. During another road rage incident. Mm-hmm. Well, that was in Jefferson Parish. It's in 24th JDC. It was investigated by Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office. And it was handled the way it was handled initially because some of the um, some of the witnesses were kind of pro-shooter and anti-Joe McKnight. Right. And But the guy was eventually charged with manslaughter, and I think he was convicted. I believe he was. You know. Um, and I think that Cardell Hayes was charged with second-degree murder because, A, he shot Will Smith in the back seven times. Mm-hmm. B, witnesses said he stood over... Will Smith's body and taunted him after he shot him seven times in the back and killed him. Right. Absolutely no excuse. So I think that's where the second degree murder came from. Mm-hmm. Um, second degree murder is uh, with uh, intent to kill. And if you point a handgun at a person and pull the trigger at close range, you're going to kill them. The odds are better that you're going to kill them than that they're going to survive. Right. So that's where intent to kill comes from for second-degree murder. There's no premeditation is, I think, the distinguishing factor in Louisiana. And there's no predicate felony like armed robbery or rape or attempted ki- or kidnapping that would bump it up to first degree murder. You're right, boss. So, but I mean, you know, like I said, the, the jury did show, I think they found that there was some provocation between the first impact, the yelling at each other, the antics of Richard Hernandez. They found that Cardell Hayes had some provocation that led him to react instead of acting with deliberation mm-hmm. or thinking before thinking before he acted um and i i think the you know all 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 the events will smith was not you know blameless but he's not to blame it's not his fault Exactly. That Cardell Hayes reacted in the way that he reacted. Someone else, you know, and again, Cardell Hayes got out of the vehicle with a gun. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time of not seeing that as aggression. Yeah. And while he claimed that Will Smith said he was going to go get his own gun, 
and he claimed that Will Smith fired a shot at him, they just the evidence just did not corroborate that. That's Cardo Hayes' perception of events, but his perception was refuted. And then finally, we have a case at the U.S. Supreme Court right now. Uh, it's called Ramos versus Louisiana. It is a case out of New Orleans where a uh, a man was accused of killing a woman and stuffing her body in a trash can. It appeared on A&E's First 48. I believe Commander Gurnan was on the squad that investigated that case. Okay. Uh, Although that case may have been when he went from homicide to, I think, the 3rd District or the 6th District. Mm-hmm. And then came back to homicide. Um, but anyway, uh, Mr. Ramos was convicted uh, by a non-unanimous jury of a felony, and his attorneys are challenging non-unanimous felony jury convictions in Louisiana. Okay. Uh Recently, Louisiana did pass a constitutional amendment um, after January 1st, I think 2018. All Mm -hmm. felony convictions have to be unanimous. But at the time Mr. Ramos was tried, at the time Cardell Hayes was tried, there was a provision for non-unanimous felony verdicts. And I think that came about, especially in a, a parish like Orleans Parish, where um, people you're going to have a lot of mistrials, right? Before you you finally get a determination one way or the other, if a jury has to be unanimous. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that impacts uh, Orleans Parish. Uh, I don't think it'll have much impact on Jefferson, which is relatively conservative, um, and St. Tammany, which is also very conservative. Uh, but we'll see how it impacts Orleans and Lafouche, Terrebonne, St. John the Baptist, and some of these other parishes around the around the state mm-hmm. over the next few years. For because it was, I think, crimes committed after January first, twenty eighteen. And okay. so the the U.S. Supreme Court has to decide whether, you know, non-unanimous felony convictions are um, constitutionally acceptable. If they decide that they're not, um, that could lead to a lot of challenges in state post-conviction to other felony convictions. Mm-hmm. Unless the Supreme Court says we don't like this, don't do it anymore, but we're not going to undo what's already been done. And I listened to the I listened to the oral argument on that. I haven't read the brief, but I listened to the oral argument, and it was really hard to tell 
who fell where on the spectrum mm-hmm. of for or against the non-unanimous felony convictions. So I think that's pretty much that's uh, Car- State of Louisiana versus Cardell Hayes. Okay. Now you had a you had a question, and I said we'd get to it later. Did we cover it, or you want to ask it again? And I'm forgetting which question because I asked a couple questions. I remember talking about how the hell did he uh, uh, intentionally ram the back of the Mercedes, but I think we pretty much covered that. Okay, yeah. I, I mean the the data from now the Hummer. As I understood it, the the Mercedes pretty much recorded significant amount of data. Mm-hmm. But they only testified about the Felic the the Sophie Wright place and Felicity. Mm-hmm. Um and for example, Cardell Hayes said the, the Mercedes slammed on the brakes and that's why it hit him. But the right. data from the Mercedes that he came to a normal stop. He gradually slowed, braked briefly, came to a stop. And they weren't going, you know, they were going maybe 23 miles an hour. Because it's mm-hmm. a, a kind of residential area. And um, the Hummer only records a few seconds of data. So, for example, they couldn't go back and look at data from the Magazine Street because Cardell Hayes essentially erased that data when he continued driving and and hit the Mercedes. Um, But it showed that he didn't engage the brakes until like a second before the collision, and what he did only reduced the speed of the Hummer by one mile an hour. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean... was not, and you know, based on the speed and based on the vehicle, he could have stopped without striking the Mercedes. Right. And again, he could have been looking at the cell phone well, and could have been distracted by the cell phone, but you're not supposed to do that when you're driving a vehicle. So That's if Will Smith is, you know, totally in the wrong. And everything he did that night was wrong because he'd been drinking. You're totally in the wrong for hitting his vehicle because you were looking at your cell phone and you weren't supposed to be. Exactly. You know. So, and yeah, Mr. Saravalo, that was another thing that um, I didn't talk a lot about. The allegations made about Mr. Saravalo, uh, William Saravalo resulted in him being contacted by NOPD and asked to turn in his reserve badge and gun. Mm-hmm. He had retired from NOPD, but he had been a reserve mm-hmm. officer or supervisor. And he was asked by NOPD to turn in his badge and gun because they were alleging he tampered with a crime scene, destroyed evidence based on a witness who I'm sorry to say was probably related to Will to Cardell Hayes, right. who said she saw William Saravallo 
return, take something out of the Mercedes, take gun out of the Mercedes, right. and replace it with another gun that hadn't been fired, and that was a different caliber. So, um, so that was really wrong. Right. And you know the video. John Fuller claimed he had video of this, but the video he had was not of William Saravallo tampering with crime scene. It was a video of William Saravallo in the Windsor Court Hotel at the time this was all going down. Mm-hmm. So um, that was that was wrong. Sure. And, you know, it, he was trying to help Cardell Hayes' father. Cardell Hayes' father was not in a mind to be helped. And, you know, I, I, you can't blame him. It's three months after Katrina. Maybe he had medication he needed, and his credit card wasn't working at, at Walgreens, or their system was down in the credit card wasn't working and he wasn't getting his medication and he needed his medication and the clerk at Walgreens was not sympathetic to that problem Um, but you know he didn't handle it in a way that would de-escalate the situation he just just handled it in a way that he amped himself up and then he got and more likely than not, if he was threatening to harm himself, perhaps he decided to commit suicide by cop. Maybe. So um, there's apparently video of some of that encounter, um, but I wasn't I, I wasn't able to really find. Uh, I kept finding Twitter where the video was no longer available uh-huh. and I didn't really I, I didn't really go on web archive or any of these sites to try and see what was what went on huh. okay so alright well that is um, again our, our last episode of season 2 wow Crazy. We start season three. Yes, ma'am. Next week. Next Tuesday. Yes, Unless ma'am. y'all ne- have another anniversary or special occasion. No, I promise. Nothing next Tuesday. <laughs> y'all, Michael was so sweet. I got a Facebook message yesterday morning when I got up. Because it's Mardi Gras. It was Tuesday for y'all, but it was Mardi Gras for me. Uh-huh. I had this message. I, you're gonna kill me. I forgot it's my anniversary. <laughs> so cute. I hardly Mother. ever even threatened to kill you, Michael. True. <laughs> it happens. But you always think I want to. <laughs> you're one of the few people that isn't threatened on a daily basis. Trust me. Good point. <laughs> so, all right. Well, I guess that is that is all. 
Yes, you ready ma'am. to close off? Close it out. All right. Thank you for listening to Clear and Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan. If you like our show and you want to know more, you can find us on Facebook. Go to our blog at clearandconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien L. Ann. Join us on Tuesday, March 3rd, 2020 at 8 o'clock p.m. Central for Season 3, Episode 1, State of Georgia versus Leo M. Frank. On April 26, 1913, the body of Mary Fagan was found in the basement of the National Pencil Company in Atlanta, Georgia. On May 24, 1913, the factory superintendent, Leo M. Frank, was indicted for Mary's murder. Frank's conviction rested primarily on the testimony of Jim Conley, an admitted accomplice in the murder. After unsuccessful attempts to overturn his conviction and death sentence in state and federal court, Frank sought clemency from Georgia's Governor John M. Slayton in 1915. After considering Frank's request and relying on new evidence not available at trial, Slayton granted Frank's request and commuted his sentence to life in prison in June of 1915. On August 16, 1915, vigilantes stormed the prison in Milledgeville, took custody of Frank, and hanged him from a tree in Marietta. We'll talk about the murder of Mary Fagan, the investigation, indictment, and trial of Leo Frank. We'll also talk about the limited appeals available during the early part of the 20th century, the commutation of Frank's sentence, his lynching, and the efforts to exonerate him in the 21st century. Until then, have a great week and stay safe. Good night.